0: It's been a bit busy, kind of seven or eight days in the smart household. Last Saturday, we had our thing called the Ministry Partner Day, which sort of took up the morning. Then at night, we had, uh, I think, seven people come over Um for a child's birthday party, then Sunday was church, church, church and church, then Monday was kind of a bit cruisy and a postponed meeting at night, uh, Tuesday I was off for three days to go to a regional churches meeting called kind of presbytery where we thought about the next few years, then th- Friday, it was kind of talk-writing half a day, and then m- maybe selling Lego. Some of the rest of the day doesn't count. Saturday, talk-writing half the day, pool with the kids in the afternoon. And uh, then there's, you know, getting three kids sort of ready for school, or at least helping with that, and two kids ready for the toilet. Then there's uh, taking out the recycling, and then I've, I've got a wife. Um, not related to the recycling, just... Uh <laughs> Poor order, when you, uh, you ad lib, sorry Matty. Um, I, I say all this stuff because not, I don't think that I'm describing anything particularly special. I don't want any sympathy for that. I think I'm just describing a life that most people often feel like they have. Uh, a life with just kind of a sort of endless conga line of stuff, sort of one thing after the other, um, without much room, uh, not much space. And if there's that much stuff in my life, how on earth is there going to be room for people who I would love to see at church with me? Uh, There are no shortage of people in Dolby who could join us at church, right? No shortage of people who could be here. So what's the issue? What stops them? And there are lots of obvious things, right? Uh, Let's not pretend there aren't really big cultural and sort of spiritual kind of problems that keep people from church. Uh, People have kind of lots of impressions about Christians. You know, some of the findings of the Tara shooting came out this week and the people who did it claimed a Christian faith, but clearly we're looking on thinking that's not remotely Christian, but it's another kind of drop in the bucket of Christian people are, are weirdos and we don't want to be that. There are lots of spiritual reasons... But I wonder tomorrow, say 20 of us here had a friend who just rang up and said, you know what, I did actually go to your website and I did see this thing on Christianity Explored and I want to do it Now, would you have five to seven weeks to spend with them doing that course or another or reading or watching a similar thing Where would the space come from? If your life is anything like mine, it's going to be similar and different in lots of ways, but the idea that suddenly you clear the decks and that is there is pretty complicated. And I wonder if we're taking seriously, in human terms, what would need to happen for us not to get in the way of God's work? Because it is true in the start of today's passage that Jesus is someone with a heart for, for seeing more people come in. Uh, what Jesus did do was have friends and hang out with people who are outside the religious circles. Uh, quite Controversial for the kind of friends that he had. The first little bit that Meryl read for us was about a tax collector being called to the kingdom of God. Now, tax collectors were doubly hated in the Jewish world, Uh, normally because one, they worked for the non-Jewish government, so they worked for the opposition, Uh, and number two, they were hated for lots of the same reasons we don't like tax collectors, but they're a little bit more corrupt, a lot more corrupt, to be fair. Jesus shouldn't have been planning to be with these kind of people, but his heart is absolutely one that rocks the boat in his culture. In verse 9, Jesus sees this man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he says to him, and Matthew gets up and follows him. The religious people aren't very happy. They don't want this kind of person there. Jesus is a bit too loose. And Jesus, they say, you're doing it all wrong. Why, the Pharisees say in verse 11, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he go out with those people? Why does he take time out from them? And these kind of these are the people commenting who should have known the Bible like the back of their hand. They should have known that the God they follow was one who has always had a heart, not just for the kind of religious people or people who are arrogant or people who honor themselves, but he's had a heart for anyone who knows they've got a weakness, anyone who's willing to deserve they willing to admit they deserve the rough end of the stick. Jesus knows that God's kingdom is about healing those who come to the cross for healing grace. Verse 12, Jesus hears their question. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Jesus came to die for people who knew they were sick, for people's sin to face judgment on their behalf, to bring sinners back into the family of God. Jesus' mission was all about saving people and it was all about saving sinners. I know kind of it's it's almost weird to say that in church, right? That Jesus' mission was all about saving sinners, but we so need to be reminded that that was his relentless kind of heart. If you're a guest with us this morning, or for you, that might seem offensive. Uh, You expected it, but it's offensive. But it just is the case that Jesus was all about revealing the problem of sin and saving people from that for the life that they're made for. Uh, Lots of us in this room, though, I'd say we're uh, glad to be saved sinners. Um, delighted some of us to be saved sinners, grateful that the light of the cross has been shone on us and that we get to know our Saviour and our God and we know it's never intended to stop there. The kingdom of our King is a mission that is meant to kind of keep on going. Saved sinners, keen for more saved sinners. Our latest vision says yes. a growing church family wearing the joy of Jesus on our sleeves. But it is mighty hard to see sometimes how we fit what feels like more of that mission in. How do we do more things? Where are they going to go? There's so much going on. Our life, and especially in our time, has become a kind of all-you-can-eat buffet, uh, a dying kind of cuisine entertainment art. Do you want to go to like Pizza Hut, all-you-can-eat, when it used to exist? yeah. I was raised in a family where we prided ourselves on being able to smash that. I think there's still an all-you-can... Is there's Lotus, the Chinese over the creek, Lotus River, still have an all-you-can-eat kind of thing? Does anyone know? Yep, okay, so there's... Oh, yep, there's one left in town. <laughs> Got it. Uh, look, we live in a time and age where in a few clicks, or in just a few hours, we can meet with whoever we can swim wherever, uh, we can watch whatever, uh, we can drink whatever. We just have a thousand options. Which is why the second part of our reading this morning actually has something really helpful to say to us. Because it's about taking a break from the buffet it's about Jesus taking one of their religious practices and saying, I'm going to do something new with this. It's the idea of fasting being changed by Jesus. Jesus is about to get going on their kind of meaningless religious acts. He's talked about some in the kind of Sermon on the Mount, things where they just went through the motions, but what was happening in their heart was sort of just kind of closed off to all of it. Uh, Some people come to him about one of these religious practices, this time followers of John the Baptist. Verse 14 of our reading, John's disciples come and ask Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often but your disciples do not fast. How come we and other Jewish people still fast? Why do we still follow the rules and not eat, but your disciples don't? And you'd think they would have realised by now that Jesus is bringing a revolution. Not a military revolution, but a spiritual one. And he replies in kind of what they would recognise as revolutionary language. Verse 15, he says, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. What's he talking about? I mean, what we do know there is that fasting was done to mourn, to be sad. But bridegroom or groom, the listeners all know, that's the way God talked about himself in relationship to his people. Are they as his lover and he as the husband. And now Jesus is calling himself the groom, ready for the new wedding. It's not a time to be sad. Something different is happening. Right now, Jesus is turning everything upside down and he's with them. Everything they thought about will be changed and they will be changed. And he's using a couple of pictures that they know well and not too hard to get, sewing and wine skins, basically the same principle. Uh, He doesn't want them to thoughtlessly bolt old practices onto a new frame. So he says from verse 16, look, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. That patch would just pull away from that garment and it'll make the tear worse. People don't pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the wine will be ruined. What he's saying is something new is happening. Something new is happening and what you think about fasting will be changed. And we know fasting didn't disappear from the movement of Jesus. We know that after he died and after he resurrected, that in fact his first followers did fast in many ways and down through history they fasted but something about it really changed it's described really well by a preacher from the last century called martin lloyd jones he's got a book on the sermon on the mount let me read you his quote about fasting the words are a bit old time ye but um you kind of follow it fasting he says if we conceive of it truly must not be confined to the question of food and drink Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate and in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions, which is just a terrible way of saying things that you do. Um, There are many things that you do which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. This is fasting. It used to be about just not eating. Post Jesus it's changed. It's not something we talk about a lot, not some of it something that a lot of us do. Some do, but there are apart from dieting good and Christian reasons to fast to make space in our lives. I talked about our lives being that all you can eat buffet, about being busy and that's not remotely shocking to say that. But what is shocking is to say, I will deliberately stop something that I don't have to just to make space. I'm just going to stop something I'm allowed to do, and I have no replacement plan. Food or alcohol can be common enough, but it's not just about stopping to lose weight or be more healthy, they're... Okay reasons, not especially Christian though. Christian fasting is when you stop something for a reason to do with the gospel. When you stop something for a reason to do with Jesus' mission to see sinners saved. Something to be part of his big change, maybe to remind you to pray. Maybe to help you grow in some part of your Christian character. Fasting can be a way to just make space in a life we feel is out of control. Space for God and whatever surprising work he might do. Fasting from one of the after school activities. Fasting from an online game. A guy I spoke to this week has been playing, I think it's called RuneScape. I don't know much about games. But for like 30 years, that's a really big commitment, isn't it? Maybe you could fast from going to the pool, fast from a renovation project, fast from Netflix, fast from trips from Toowoomba. You know, the whole thing is not so much about what it is as to why you do it. Not to look impressive, not to impress God, not to tell everyone about it. But maybe the biggest fast we need are just fasts that slow us down and make space. I've I've said that and I've got to do a really sharp turn into hypocrisy after talking about fasting from Netflix because we watched hoarders the other night on Netflix. Uh, and, if you know, I've talked about hoarders before, love it. Uh, it's just a show about people who collect junk. And we watched an episode on Friday nights. A lady's got a normal thing, junk stacked to the ceiling, and they come in and try and help her. And, you know, this lady was just, she was taking her stuff from the pile and then she was just putting it into a pile of boxes. And eventually the kind of psychotherapist or psychologist intervened and said, listen, if you do not clean this up, There will be no space for grandkids in your life. It is either space for your stuff or space for your grandkids. Which space will it be? We've chosen just a few verses to read today, but there's a large section here from chapter 9 to chapter 12 in Matthew's gospel which reveals something about Jesus and what it is he made space for. As you zoom out in chapter 9 to 12, you find out that every movement, every conversation, every kind of dinner, every moment is dedicated to his mission. No clutter. A non-stop focus for him and his disciples. And before I finish, I just want to run through a bunch of verses from chapter 9 to chapter 12. I'll put them up on the screen. But I want you to see Jesus' continued mind for sinners saved and sinners changed. So many people he wanted to be part of his kingdom. Chapter 9, verse 36 Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So many people to come in. We need more people for more people to come in. At the start of chapter 10. He sends out his disciples, in particular, on a mission to lots of towns. And he says, As you go, ask God to bring change in spades. Verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. I want the kingdom to spread. And then with his eyes kind of focused directly towards the crucifixion, the end of chapter 10, he warns his disciples they will need to make space for everything the crucifixion is about. Verse 38, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Calling people to make room for him and his work. Work that might be costly, but lives that might be so very good. In chapter 11, he wants them to know it actually will be a delight to be part of that work. Chapter 11, verse 28, he still wants people to come. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. A laser-like gaze from Jesus towards the kind of mission, the plan he and his father had forever had. This eternal family of saved sinners with a heart for more saved sinners. And everything Jesus did was about that. You know, we'll skip to just just before he goes to the cross the night before he's in the garden. And you can see the humanness of Jesus in the moment he prays. Because he says, you know what, if there is another way for this mission to be done besides the cross, can we do that? If there is another plan, can we do that? But I will leave space for whatever you want, Father. This is how he prays in Matthew 26, and verse 39, going a little further in the garden, he falls with his face to the ground and prays, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And brutally focused, He died on the cross, gloriously crowned. He was raised to life and change was in the wind. Jesus' mission was relentlessly focused on this new kingdom of saved and changed sinners who wanted other sinners saved and changed. So at the very least, this should encourage us not to be defeated, to feel down. About belonging to the Lord Jesus, to feel down about you know feeling like sad. We would want people to be here, but we just don't know how to do it. Feeling down because we're thinking we keep talking about the church wanting to grow, but it feel, it feels so slow, or like sometimes it's getting smaller. Feeling down because we see the news, and and we know that some people think we're just one step away from being complete nutter's. It gets me down some days. And I'm sure it must for you. One thing we have to do is pray. Perhaps using those moments of space for it. In the morning, in the evening, in the car, in that spot, you know, you get home from those of you who work or whatever, you get home and then just before you go into the house, you know, you've got a space there in the car where you could pray. Pray with your kids and, and about their friends in your ministry teams, in your growth groups. For Christianity Explored, and I know the Christianity Explored guys are looking for a dedicated team of prayers who just pray on updated information about other people who are thinking about life with Jesus. We've got to pray. But the challenge for us is to ask ourselves if we have a relentless focus as Christians and as a church to follow in the footsteps, footsteps of our king and his kingdom. If we really want to be part of God saving and changing sinners like he has for many of us, if we want to do that, maybe we need to get a scope, our scope in order. Sharpen the pencil a little on what we're doing. Think about what, ha- what would happen if those 20 friends of ours that rang up and said, I want to come, and then in God's goodness he converts them, and then suddenly they're here, what will we do? We need a few more stickers at the very least. So what do we need to do to have space now? The human factors we can control, the people things that we can make sure don't get in the way of God and his work. I want to say you need to think about now how you would take five to seven weeknights or or, or groups of time out of your life to do Christianity Explored or whatever it is with someone else. What will your household change? What would it take? Who would you need help from? Some of you have done it for our planned courses. Some of you have done it to run your own. Either way, for most of us, if we don't think about it, that's unlikely to happen. There are a few people here who are so flexible you could completely change their day in two seconds and they wouldn't be bothered. Most people are not like that. So here's car conversation number one either with your car or between you and God? How would your household make it work to have five to seven nights to sit down with someone who didn't know Jesus and help them hear the gospel? How would it work? It's not just that. It's also doing the thing where you hang out with people not from church, uh, that kind of... G-I-M from that weird word we use called gimmicks. If you're new to this church, that's just one of the many things we say that may not make sense. Um, gimmicks is just a way to help us think about loving our non-Christian friends. The G and the I and the M that are important for today. Go to people's stuff, invite them to yours, and M meet your church and non-church friends. It's just doing hospitality. It's having fun with people. It's planning to do stuff that's just play. You know, How are you going to do that? Some of you are excellent at it, having people randomly around, last-minute lunches, the whole afternoon taken up, and that is great. But lots of people aren't. I know it took Maddie and I at least four weeks to just get one parent from school around with their kids for a play date. Four weeks of trying to figure that out. So here's car conversation number two. How do we do the hospitality, the something fun with someone the next little while? Who's going to organise it? What kind of times will work? Two car conversations with God and whoever is in the car about making space, planning to play. Two simple conversations to continue to challenge ourselves to be on about what Jesus was on about in his heart to follow in the footsteps of our King and his kingdom, whose mission was relentlessly focused on saved and changed sinners who love to see other sinners saved and changed. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we live in a very busy time because there are just so many things to fill our lives with. And lots of them are okay. But we want to confess that many of us are not good at making space. at slowing down. We want to pray that you would forgive us for this. And Lord, we want to pray for your wisdom to help us know what kind of fasting would be good for us in your kingdom. And Lord, we want to thank you for those of us that you have saved and changed. We want to thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for what you did on the cross. We want other people to know you as their Lord and as their saviour and as their friend. And we pray in your goodness you would make that the case. And we pray it for your glory. Amen.